Hello and welcome back to Bible Studies with Russ. This is season number two, uh, picking up, or beginning, I should say, in Joshua. And so this is season number two, because we're starting our second uh, complete series of studies. Uh, Study number one, beginning with Joshua. And we're going to look at some introduction material today, and then try to make, uh, see how far we can get in chapter one. The book of Joshua covers material in the period of conquest and settling in the land of Palestine. It is named after Joshua the son of Nun, and it is believed that Joshua is the author based on Joshua 24 and verse 26. And if you look over to Joshua 24 and verse 26, I don't have that pulled up just yet, but Joshua 24, let me get over there, and verse 26 says, Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Um, so that's one of the reasons why it's believed to be by Joshua. Uh, if you look at Joshua chapter, uh, Joshua chapter one, and verse one, uh, it says, "After death, of Moses the servant of the Lord came to pass. The Lord spoke to Joshua the son of Nun." Uh, it is not uncommon to see where those who, uh, when books begin like this, where, where it says God spoke to so and so, that they are the ones who wrote it. Uh, but Joshua twenty four twenty six also gives us. Uh, more insight to that, to that as well. And you also can compare Joshua chapter uh, 5 and verse 6, which says, For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers, and that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. And that's Joshua 5 and verse 6. Well, Joshua, as we're going to see there, uh, were with, was with the, these people during that time. Uh, we're going to get more into that here in just a second. Uh, Joshua, obviously, is the main character of the book. He was of the tribe of Ephraim and played a prominent role in Exodus uh, as Moses' lieutenant. So we look at Exodus 24 and verse 13. He was one of the twelve spies and the commander in the, in the battle with the uh, Amalekites, Exodus 17, verse 8 and following, and Deuteronomy 25, verse 17. Joshua lived, according to Joshua 24 29, to be 110 uh, years old. If you go over to Joshua 24 and 29, and we'll do some math here in a second to show this, but Joshua 24 29 says, It came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. 110. Uh, we know as we start back in Genesis that uh, moving forward, you have people who lived for hundreds of years. You know, Methuselah, people like that, he lived uh, 900 years and those types of things. Uh, and then the age, uh, the death, uh, the age of death began to get uh, younger and younger and younger. And here, Joshua, uh, 110. Um, and so if you were to look here, I lost my place. Uh, the death, the death of Joshua was about 1375 B.C. Since crossing Jordan, seven years were spent in, in conquering the land, making a total of approximately 32 years in leading Israel. He was about 38 years old when, he, when crossing uh, the Red Sea. Add that to the 40 years in the wilderness, and the 32 years in Canaan equals 110. And so he was with the people for a very, very long time. Think about it, he was 38. He was only 38 when crossing the Red Sea. I'm only 39, uh, and so he saw that at a relatively long, young age, right? Uh, and then he 40 years in the wilderness, and then 32 years in Canaan. You imagine 
Joshua saw a lot in his time. Uh, you know, serving with uh, with Moses, seeing the people being being brought out, seeing those those plagues taking place, crossing the Red Sea, Moses passing, and then, as we mentioned here, uh, he was 38. Uh, see, seven years were spent in conquering the land, making a total of approximately 32 years in leading Israel. Uh, he's about 38 years old and crossing the Red Sea, so add that add that to 40 years in the wilderness. And 30 years in Canaan equals uh, 110. Um, saw a lot, a lot of things. Now I'm going to give next just a basic outline of the book. Uh, I'm going to try to refer to this more and more as we go through this. Uh, but here's just a basic outline. Uh, the land east of Jordan had already been conquered. Uh, uh, Gilead, that is, we see that in Numbers 21, uh, verses 21 and 31. And Bashan, Numbers 21, 32 through 35. And Median, Numbers 25 and, and Numbers 31. Uh, chapters 1 through 12 deal with the conquest. And we'll get more into that later. Uh, and chapter 5, 1 through, 1 through 12, uh, you have the instance of Gilgal, the conquering of, of central Canaan. Uh, and and uh, Joshua 5, 9 and 10, the conquering of southern Canaan. And then Joshua chapter 11, 1 through 15, the conquering of the northern kingdom. And then the next big heading here is the uh, chapters 13 through 24, the distribution or the dividing of the conquered land, Joshua 13 through Joshua 24. Uh, we find in Joshua 13, 1 through 7, he divided the land among the nine and a half tribes. Um, and then he goes more into that detail there. And so there's just a brief uh, introduction to the book of Joshua. Uh, like I did last time, whenever I refer to a commentary, uh, it'll be Brother Max Patterson, uh, and again, that's the same here today. Uh, much uh, that introduction coming from uh, his book. Uh, there's other commentaries on Joshua. Um, my personal opinion to to find worthwhile commentaries on uh, Genesis through until you get to about uh, the Psalms, it's hard. Uh, to to find some commentaries, I see they're 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 good. Uh, there's a lot out there. And we say commentaries, we we men who are uh, we would consider to be somewhat educated, who have gone through the book and, and know maybe the Hebrew language some, and uh, know the history, and help us understand uh, some of the some of those difficult verses. I don't look at commentaries for every single verse. Um, but sometimes I do I do look at those things, keeping in mind that commentary is a book written by men, uh, written by a man, and so uh, it is not going to be uh, perfect. We shouldn't hinge our belief upon our beliefs upon what someone else has said. Um, but in my opinion, I use a commentary much like we would use. Uh, you know, sometimes we read we're reading through our our Bibles and and we have a question about a verse and we go and ask someone. That's how I kind of view commentaries. It's like me going and asking someone. Um, most commentaries I refer to are written by men who have been preachers for a very long time. Uh, who have a record of being uh, faithful and following the Word of God, uh, rejecting things that have just simply been passed down over the years and things such as that. Uh, and Brother Max Patterson, who has recently passed away, um, is one of those men who I would uh, I wholeheartedly encourage anyone who's looking for commentaries. Um, I would encourage you to... Uh, to consider his as well okay wasn't really planning that little sidetrack but there you go anyway okay so joshua chapter one 
Joshua chapter one. And what's interesting is I was preparing for this. You read through Joshua chapter one, and you can to me you already find what I call some pump you up encouragement here, because. Joshua be, it begins here by by the Lord encouraging Joshua to be strong and be courageous. Uh, you find that idea really uh, throughout the Bible or throughout Joshua, especially. Um, you find it uh, at least twice. To remember, just off the top of my head, I right hear at least twice here, verse six and verse seven. You see, be strong and be good courage. Verse seven, only be strong and very courageous. Um, very much the idea of sitting strong and being brave in the face of. So many difficult times. I mean, Moses had difficult times. You remember Joshua was Moses' lieutenant, as we pointed out earlier. Uh, he was around when Moses said things such as, Lord, this is how it's going to be. Just kill me here and now. Kill me here and now. Because the people were complaining so much. They were whining so much. And also because he had so much to do. Uh, that's when the Lord began to uh, divide up uh, the work. Uh, if you go back and look at that, and we're not going to this time. But Joshua saw the discouragement that, that, that uh, Moses faced. And he's going to face some discouraging times as well. Okay, Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Now, this is, I'm reading from the New King James. Now, I don't remember what translations, how some translations translate this. Uh, here in these verses, the King James um, uh translates that there Moses minister um, as I mentioned before uh, I refer to him as Moses uh, lieutenant let me see if I can't just open up another there we go oh, that's not it yeah uh, one second here sometimes when my Bible program is working correctly oh, that's not what I want you can open up two versions at once but as I'm trying to do it on the fly I don't remember how to do it anyway uh, but he is referred to here in New King James as assistant, the, the King James as his minister. Uh, same idea. He was his helper, right? The son of Nun. Um, he is the father of Joshua, the successor of Moses. When you look at Strong's, that's literally all that I have uh, that's mentioned here. It does have a reference here uh, to him back in First Chronicles 7 and verse uh, 27. Nun, his son, and Joshua, his son. Um, we have... Um, Let's see here. This was under the family of Ephraim. If you look at First Chronicles 7 and verse 26, Elijah his son, and Amahud his son, Eklashemah his son, Nun his son, and Joshua his son. Uh, to my knowledge, that's the only time you see uh, Nun <laughs> mentioned there. Uh, there's other places I'm not aware of it. Uh, but anyway, he is known just basically as the father of Joshua. That's all you know about him. Um, you know, If we need to know more about him, it'd be recorded for us. Okay, so this is after the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord. And, and no doubt, any time when you lose uh, a servant of God, especially one who has been so dedicated, no doubt I think you find Joshua, I think it's honest to say, he probably was a little nervous. I mean, that, I think it's why you see verses 6 and 7 about being strong and courageous, uh, being repeated twice there, very, very close together. Uh, because it is it is uh, difficult to try to pick up where Moses left off. And can you imagine, you think about sometimes when a preacher uh, passes away or a preacher moves to a different congregation, where it may be, and someone else comes in, and the preacher was there before you, was very well-known, very uh, able, very talented. And preachers sometimes uh, will feel like, well, man, how am I going to come in after this person? Can you imagine being Joshua coming in after Moses? <laughs> 
I got to pick up where Moses left off. Okay, <laughs> he he's seen what Moses could do in in his uh, knowledge, his his uh, wisdom, and no doubt he had help from God. But Moses was was an incredible human being, not perfect, as we know. He wouldn't see the promised land in the physical sense. Here, uh, we know, of course, he would in a spiritual sense. Uh, he did see it. He wasn't able to enter it, to be more specific. Um, but still, an incredible servant of God, right? And this is the one whom Joshua is, whose place he's taking now. Um, And the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, verse 2, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to land which I am giving giving to them, the children of Israel. Um, It's interesting to me, as you look through this, that the Lord makes it very specific what he's talking about. I mean, he, he's, of course, we realize he's very specific, but he says, to, to this people, the land which I'm giving them, to them, and he says, the children of Israel. To who? The children of Israel. That's who it's going to. Um, but you think about verse 2 there, my, my, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses died at the age of 120, Deuteronomy 34, verse 7, and now Joshua is told to go and to... Uh, basically pick up where Moses, you know, this is as far as Moses went, and now it's your turn. Arise there in verse 2, go over this Jordan, uh, to go over the Jordan River into the land that God has given to the children of Israel. We know this land to be Canaan or the land of uh, Palestine. Uh, Verse 3 says here, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Now, you think about that for a second. This means the entire land. God promised, basically, Joshua, and he, as he promised Moses, he says, that everywhere you walk, it's been given to you. Um, that, no, that was, should, should show some sense of security, of comfort. Um, and if, if everywhere he steps, God's given it to you. Everywhere you go, as we're going to see later, God says, I'm there with you. Um, really f- providing a lot of reassurance, uh, a lot of comfort, a lot of encouragement. I got you. You know, if you're going to to a dangerous place uh, that's physically dangerous, don't you want someone who who's there with you who also is uh, very strong, very brave, doesn't you know is not afraid of anything, in the sense they're willing to to protect themselves and perhaps even help you as well. That's how I view it here with 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 uh, God and Joshua. Uh, much more than just someone who's who's simply strong and in shape and capable of defending themselves and helping you. But the idea is wherever you go, I'm right there with you there in verse uh, three but here it's it's that idea and also the idea as he says here i've given this to you so wherever you go uh he is with him verse four uh and, and here he gets more specific so we can take verse three in a literal sense because that is true he was giving them where, where they were going the lord's giving it to them but also in the spiritual sense the lord was with him which is going to come out more later uh verse four says from the wilderness in this lebanon as far as the great river the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward toward the going down the sun shall be your territory. And again, he knows. Again, he makes he makes some very specifics from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river. What river? The river Euphrates. All the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the, toward the going down the sun shall be your territory. Uh, there in verse four. And so God outlines their territory, uh, a large area. All the land of the Hittites are Canaanites, the great sea. Um, he says here the, the Mediterranean, uh, is what Brother Patterson says here. Uh, the King, New King James says the great river, the river Euphrates. Um, 
to the great C. I'm sorry. Um, let me look here. I'm not looking at the right verse. Uh, yeah, I'll say, yeah, to the, to the river Euphrates, to all the inhabitants, to the great sea, I'm sorry, I got to turn around there, and the great sea being the Mediterranean, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Uh, the promise can also be looked at back in Deuteronomy 11:24 and just as 15, 18, you can compare that promise there as well as we're looking at this. Uh, verse 5 says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And you think about that phrase. What the Lord is saying here is that no man can defeat you. No man can overtake you. He says, no man shall be able to stand before you. Uh, there will be no change, no failure, plus God's personal promise to not, as we'll see in a minute, to not forsake them. Uh, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. No one will be able to defeat you so long, of course. Remember, God's promises are always conditional. If for some reason Joshua strayed and began to lead people, lead people of Israel down a sinful path, what would happen? Those promises end. The promises are contingent. They are they hinge on the fact of being obedient, um, right? Uh, I mean, let's think about someone who tells their spouse, you know, I, I love you, and then that spouse goes and is unfaithful. Well, do you love them? You know, if if they do, you, do you love them afterwards? You know, sometimes, let me put it this way, if someone is unfaithful to you and you get a divorce, do, do you are you do you love them as you once did? No. <laughs> it's changed, right? And, and, of course, the point I'm making, we understand reconciliation is possible and those types of things, but the point I'm making here is that faithfulness and the, and, or the lack of faithfulness determines the fulfillment of promises, right? Um here we find in verse verse five, he says, "No one will be able to stand before you the days of your life." It's understood to be, to be contingent upon faithfulness. It says, "As I was with Moses, so I will be with you." Was God with with, with Moses? Absolutely, only every single step of the way. Um, he says, "I will not leave you, nor forsake you." Uh, not leave you meaning he's not going to just walk away from them. He's not going to abandon them. Forsake them means he's not going to uh, turn and maybe bring someone else <laughs> against them, even though they've been faithful the whole time. God doesn't punish the righteous. He only punishes the wicked. I will not leave you nor forsake you, or he might say uh, turn against you, or uh, uh, yeah, turn against you like an enemy would, so something like that, or the idea of someone who is unfaithful to them so he's not going to leave them he's not going to be unfaithful to them he's going to be there he says i will not leave you nor forsake you now unlike man god keeps his promises god keeps his promises looking at verse six be strong and of good courage for to this people you should divide as an inheritance the land which i swore to their fathers to give them uh strength in many ways comes out uh being courageous the land will be divided for inheritance, just as he promised to their fathers. Be strong and of good courage. Uh, the strong defines courage uh, here as to be strong, alert, uh, courageous, brave, stout, bold, solid, hard. Um, you know, he's going to have to be courageous. You know, in the Old Testament time period, uh, these men faced... Uh, War, physical war, and of course we know spiritual war as well, meaning faithful to God, just like we do today. But they also faced physical war. Uh, they faced uh, the possibility of, of 
those in Israel, some of them becoming unfaithful, some of them doubting, some of them questioning. I mean, they even questioned Moses. Uh, can they do the same thing to Joshua? Well, yeah, uh, but they wouldn't be wise to do so. So he says, Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you should divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. The same idea. So first it's be strong and of good courage. Now it's be strong and very courageous. Uh, again, emphasizing you're going to have to be very, you can't be weak. You can't be scared. You can't be afraid. Uh, I've said before, I'm not sure if i said in, in our Bible studies before, but Christianity is not for the weak. It's for the strong. You know, go back and look at Isaiah chapter uh, 53, for example. Um, I believe it's 11 or 12. Uh, verse 12, he says, Therefore I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Uh, you have to be strong in a spiritual sense if you're going to remain faithful to God. And when he tells Joshua to be strong, uh, he's not talking about physical strength. He's talking about spiritual. You're going to have to be uh, brave. Joshua's position was not for someone who uh, was weak, not for someone who was afraid, not for someone who was timid. Uh, he had to be someone who was, was strong and courageous, willing to make those uh, make the right decisions when people did not like them. <laughs> um, you know, remember Aaron didn't could not do that when the people complained. About Moses being gone too long on a mountain, what did Aaron do when they came when they came to him complaining? He made a golden calf for him. Was he strong and courageous? <laughs> Not there. Uh, looking at verse seven, he says that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. I find it encouraging that he still calls Moses his servant. <laughs> Moses is dead, but when he refers to him here, he still calls him his servant. Uh, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you, which we know to at, refer to now as the law of Moses. Where did the law of Moses come from? It came from God. That's where Moses got it. Do not turn turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Now, you notice the condition of prospering is based upon what? Not turning to the right hand or to the left. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. Today, commonly, when we say to the right, we're talking about something being more restrained, more restrictive. When you talk about to the left, you talk about something being more, um, I won't say laxed, but more uh, open, openly interpreted and, and more uh, going beyond the scriptures, to put it that way, to, to be more laxed, to allow more things to happen that are not recorded in the book. So to the left would be like uh, going beyond the Bible and going to the right would be uh, making things even more Making making things uh, more difficult, uh, making things more restrictive, making the laws much harder. Uh, you know, the Pharisees and, and and the Sadducees and the Jews in the New Testament time period did that. Remember one of the reasons they complained against Christ and his disciples when they didn't wash their hands? It was not because they didn't wash their hands, because they didn't wash their hands in, according to their special way. Mark bears that out, how they would wash their pots, their pans, their, 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 their utensils, their couches, and all this stuff in a certain way. So it wasn't that they weren't doing it. It's just they weren't doing it according to their tradition. And so uh, that's what going to the right does. It can become more binding, binding laws on film people. Uh, you can look at it as being restrictive to the right, or you can look at it as being, uh, well, I look at it as being more restrictive going to the right there with uh, 
those who said you had to do it in a certain way. But going to the left, it's the idea that you go beyond it. That is, you allow more things to happen. Uh, God, you know, that's, to the left is where you find attitudes like, well, God didn't say we couldn't do this. That's on the left. Um, okay, let's look now at verse uh, 8. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your, from your mouth, uh, but you shall... But you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good good success. And so again, he says, he tells him what he should do, and as a result, what's going to happen. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, which means you're going to preach and teach the word of God, and that's all you're going to teach. It's not going to depart from your mouth. You're not going to go to something else. You're not going to go to traditions. You're not going to go to creeds, which we see today in denominations, right? We see creeds. We see traditions. Uh, we see bylaws. Um, you know, I ran into that when uh, when I was leaving the denomination. I used to be a member of. I remember seeing, well, I think within the last year I was there, uh, a document laying out on the table in their foyer there. And it said the, the bylaws. And I had never seen that before. And I remember looking at it going, what are bylaws? Why don't we have bylaws? And you get to start thinking because when you ask people who are members of of, of a congregation, uh, even if those who are members of denominations as well, if you ask them do you follow the Bible, let's say they'll say yeah. But is that true? If you actually is it actually true if you have bylaws, if you have creeds and things such as that? Uh, and I was I, I was told this once before. I heard this once before. It wasn't directed directly to me, but I had someone I heard someone say that you know if you go beyond the Bible. And you're saying, uh, uh, you're saying too much. If you stop short of the Bible, then you're not saying enough. And if it says the same thing, then you don't need it. So if creeds and bylaws and things like that go beyond the Bible, they're saying too much, right? And if they stop short of the Bible, they don't say everything the Bible says or teach everything the Bible says, uh, then it's not saying enough. And if it says exactly the same thing, then why do you have them? Uh, so something to think about. All right. Uh, so the book of the law shall not depart from his mouth. He says there in verse 8. He says, but you shall meditate in it day and night. A reference to studying the word of God. He wants him to know it. He says that you may observe to do according to all that is written, written in it. So he says he shall meditate on it. So it doesn't, uh, he says keep it to be all, all that he teaches. He says meditate on it day and night. So that, he says, that you may observe. So as a result of meditating on it or studying on it, is it literally all day and all night? No, but the idea is you study it constantly. Why? That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. So that you will do what? Do what it actually says. You'll know what it says and you can do it. He says, for then, what? After you have not allow the word of God to depart from your mouth, after you have meditated upon it and, and been keeping it, he says, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. But what does it hinge on? Following the word of God. The prospering, the, the blessing, this promise from God is contingent upon faithfulness and loyalty to the law. Look at verse 9. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismay, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So three things are, are clear here. He is to be strong and of good courage. This indicates strength and being courageous. He is not to be afraid or tremble or be terrified. You can also compare this to, to Matthew 10, 28 and Luke 12, 32. 
not to be dismayed, or that is, to be faint-hearted or discouraged. The reason given for this is that the Lord is with him wherever he goes. Today, when we keep our, our hearts in God's word, he's with us as well. The Lord may not or does not today communicate with us like he did to Joshua. He doesn't speak directly to us in that way. But when we open up his word, we can find him speaking through it. And then we can, when we do that, when we meditate on it constantly, as we find there in verse 8, the law will not, his law will not depart from us, that New Testament law which we today are under. And so what can we learn from Joshua here in these first nine verses? You want to have blessings from God. You want to have the fulfillment of God's promises in your life. Remain loyal to him. And then uh, we can enjoy the, the, the reality that heaven will be our home one day as we faithfully serve the Lord. Okay, we're going to stop there this morning. I do think you're being here with me. When we come back next time, we'll pick up in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 10. So I hope you've enjoyed this Bible study. Uh, feel free to share with others. I hope to see you again next time.